brands get sucked into this, um, I call it the consumer matrix. Um, it's this idea of let's quantify people, let's categorize them, let's try to create these algorithms to predict their, their behaviors. Um, but what I've seen is that if we really want to have a true human understanding, people are like, they're cozier, they're messier, they're like a little bit imperfect, you know? Welcome to the Zero Hour, brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. This is the podcast where we come at you every two weeks with interviews with business leaders in marketing, security, business management, all talking about transformational change or confronting new challenges in business. I'm your host, George Comedy. Uh, I will also be joined in the episode by my co-host, Ashley Stone, but I did want to take a moment to provide a little bit of context around this episode. Today, we talk with Gabriella McCoy, Director of Insights and Analytics at Bacardi, the world's largest privately held spirits company. Now, this episode was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic turned the world upside down, but Gabriella is a much needed bright spot in these times. We discuss how to get at real human insights and drive emotional connections with brands. In other words, not focus groups. We also discuss, uh, to my delight, why failure is necessary for innovation and how Bacardi cultivates that in such a large enterprise. Gabriella is a powerhouse innovator and an absolute delight to listen to. I'm so grateful that we got to meet at CES earlier this year. I highly encourage you to look at the show notes and follow her on LinkedIn because she is amazing. All right, without further ado, here is Gabriella McCoy of Bacardi. Hello. Hello, Gabriella. Hi, how are you? All right, this is... George, and you have on the line also my co-host, Ashley Stone. Hi there. Hi, Ashley. How are you? I'm great. How's it going? I'm in Florida, sunny Florida, so everything is great and warm and beautiful. Oh, oh don't rub it in. Dreamy. <laughs> yes. Cool. All right. Well, we are going to get started, and thank you for the time, and Ashley will kick us off. Great. So awesome. What does customer insight mean to you and where does that data come from and how do you act on it? Uh, wow. So that's um, a big loaded question. So maybe <laughs> I should start by uh, maybe saying a little bit about what I do at Bacardi, if that's okay. Yeah, yes, of course. Okay, perfect. So um, I'm the director of strategic insights and analytics uh, for our North American portfolio. And basically um, what I get to do, and it comes to your question, what consumer insights are, is I get to obsess about understanding people and, and how our brands can connect with them in, in, in meaningful ways. Um, so people ask me often, what is an insight? And at core, I mean, if you were to like technically define it, um, it's a deep intuitive understanding. Um, but really what you're really wanting to do when it comes to an insight is understand who people are, how they behave um, and how they can get, you know, how we can get them to love our brands. It's basically like opening up their brains and, and trying to jump into their heads <laughs> and, and understanding them a little bit better. That's a great description. Yeah. So professional brain opener. <laughs> Check. 
Um, exactly, exactly. And so in this uh, data-driven industry, um, where is Bacardi getting those insights? Because there's a certain layer I'm sure that you can get at massive scale at a superficial level, but how are you digging into like the motivations or, you know, the stuff that's not immediately conversion focused, but you said you're trying to understand. It sounds like you're almost doing, you know, an ethnography or the anthropology of your customers. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. Um, but there's one thing I have to say before we continue, which is um, we, we refer to, you know, people often say consumer insights, but I'm going to be banning the word consumer throughout this whole entire podcast, if that's okay. Um, yes, because we agree. Really... <laughs> All right. So a big X on consumers. Um, I like to refer to them as people or as humans. Um, I appreciate that as a human. <laughs> Well, good, 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 good. Uh, because, you know, the word consumer really takes us to more of this like add to cart mindset and mentality um, and transactions. And, and really, if, if we want to be a brand that people love, um, it's all about connection and connecting with humans. So having said that, um, so where does the data come from and how do we act on it? I think is that was the question that you said? Yes. yes. All right. So, um, First of all, I have to say that I have a heightened sense of curiosity. Um, I think I was born asking my mom, why, why, why? Um, and uh, that curiosity really um, has fueled this kind of obsession I have with understanding people. Um, and data for me comes from everywhere. It's um, data and insights are everywhere. Um, but we have, you know, uh, what you were just saying, George, anthropology, um, we have two different types of data that we usually look at in insights. The first is qualitative and the second is quantitative. Um, I'll give you an example uh, about the qualitative data. Um, let's say that we want to understand and develop strategies for our products during the Super Bowl. Uh, we'll go out to people's homes, um, hang out at parties with their friends. I know that sounds a little bit creepy, maybe. <laughs> but um, Not if, if you're you the really one bringing wanna... the Bacardi. Hey, that's right. That's exactly right. We, exactly. <laughs> Where there's a party, there's Bacardi, right? <laughs> um, so uh, we'll go and hang out with them and we'll learn all about, you know, um, the Super Bowl is about comfort and sweatpants and you know, enjoying the comfort of their of their family, of their friends, comfort food. And with that, we'll learn probably that it's all about easy to make cocktails that still taste delicious. So that's kind of like the qualitative side. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you have to get a little bit geeky. Uh, and then there's the quantitative side. Um, and that part is, you know, it's about digging into the hardcore numbers, um, data, it's about not to get too technical, but if we're launching a new, um, let's say we're launching a new spirit, you know, is the viscosity okay? Is the alcohol burn level the right? The level of sweetness. So there's kind of those like two sides, the qual and the quant. Okay, that's good to know. And then, do you find at all a confrontation or a conflict between? you know, massive amounts of quantitative data, which is now easier than ever to get at, and the remit to ah. establish an emotional connection, which may require doing things that are harder to measure or quantify? That's a great question, actually. Um, 
I often talk about, I talk a lot about this whole idea of emotional connections between brands and consumers. And when I think about big data, I mean, we're, you know, marketers are like kind of the worst offenders of like data hoarders, right? <laughs> um, and, and if you think about it, I mean, obviously like technology, big data, all of that is going to continue to run its course. Um, and, you know, to some degree, both the big data and technology um, has helped us to connect better with humans. Um, but at the same time, you know, what keeps me up at night a lot is that while our brands are more connected and maybe understand people with big data and numerical ways, um, I see us a little bit more disconnected from humanity than ever. And mm -hmm. um, that's not to say like only at Bacardi, I've worked um, I've had an interesting career working in booze and burgers and condoms and detergents, um, <laughs> pretty much anything. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've touched it a little bit at least. And um, what I've seen is that the biggest problem is that brands get sucked into this, um, I call it the consumer matrix. Um, it's this idea of let's quantify people, let's categorize them, let's try to create these algorithms to predict their, their behaviors. Um, but what I've seen is that if we really want to have a true human understanding, people are like, they're cozier, they're messier, they're like a little bit imperfect, you know? Um, and even the methods in which we try to understand people um, aren't the greatest. I don't know, do you guys, are you familiar with focus groups, how brands usually... Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, for those who are not familiar with focus groups, look, this is a tried and, you know, to some degree, true way. Um, it's been, it's a method that's been around since, I think it was like the 60s. Merton started in the 60s. Um, and it's basically brands want to understand how people are and what they want. And in order to uh, research, they... Um, hire an agency that puts them, you know, gets a group of different consumers. I'm saying the word consumer because it's appropriate in this case. <laughs> You're excused. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm glad we're not playing the shot game of taking you know, a shot every time that you say something that you shouldn't say. Who said we aren't? But, um, <laughs> well, hey, what are you drinking over there? Let, let me know what you guys are drinking over there. Um but back to focus groups. So they put a group of people in a room and people do not know each other. Okay. A group of strangers, there's a moderator and the moderator asks him a bunch of different questions that behind a two-way mirror is the marketing mm -hmm. team, like stalking them and watching them as they're being asked these different questions. It's, it's, um, a very inhuman way at getting human insights, right? Yeah. An artificial environment. Yeah. You know, and there's a time and place for everything, but I always say this, it's like, when you go to the zoo, do you expect that the animals that you see at the zoo, they're going to be like acting like that in the wild? Probably it's going to be a little bit different, right? It's not going to be the same. Right. <laughs> so I, um, what I, what I'm getting to here is that, um, it's really about establishing human connection. And for me, human input um, to get human output, it's all about human input. So instead of, you know, necessarily shoving people into focus group um, room, I prefer to ask people questions like, you know, going to their houses and visiting them with agencies, of course, with researchers, but asking them like, you know, um, a, saying something like, 
not only, you know, what do you, instead of saying like, what do you think about our brand on a scale of one to 10, asking them, you know, in, if you were to write an obituary for a Bacardi, um, what might you say in that obituary? What oh, would you be writing about? Um, how would you change if your life was gone, if Bacardi ceased to exist? Do you see the the difference between asking and um, approaching people with very human questions? Indeed, I and, love and, that. and even their environment, they're going to feel much more at ease at home than you know in this like uh, office space or this sterile room with the two way mirror and eating crappy snacks in the back, or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> having right. you know really crappy coffee that they're <laughs> sipping on, and. <laughs> Yeah. And even like in the context of like, you know, asking him these questions with, you know, amongst their friends, it's it's a very cool dynamic that ends up happening. You know, friends tend to bring out the real in you. Yes. And yeah. I think that this is a very interesting point. And I think a lot of people will listen to this and they'll nod and they'll really get that. But I think that in the large brands, there is still a lot of uh, friction because it takes a lot of bravery to go outside of things that, as you said, are uh, tried and true or anything that feels like it's getting away from numbers. So um, have you run into any organizational resistance? It doesn't really have to be a Bacardi. It could be in a past life. How, how have you negotiated this approach in an environment that seems like there's ever more pressure for just number-based ROI? Um, I mean, of course, you know, this, you know, conflict never happens at Bacardi, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're a fa the, the largest, uh, well, family as well, but privately owned uh, company in the world. No, I mean, look, there's always, um, there's always going to be resistance to trying something new, um, trying something different. But what I found is, um, when, first of all, you start small, um, you don't try to do like major mm -hmm. big projects and try to, you know, win people over with brand new different ways like this, um, this idea of, you know, steering somewhat away from focus groups and going more into unconventional ways. It took some time, you know, but um, what I'm lucky about is that um, at Bacardi, it's a company that really embraces like being fearless and trying new things. Um, and so I was able to, convince people to, you know, give me the opportunity to try something different and um, also having the liberty and not being scared of like, if I tried these new methods and I failed that I would get fired because that's not, that's not the Bacardi way. The Bacardi way is um, try something. Um, it's okay to fail, but fail fast and move on. Okay. So I, I think also I'm very lucky to work in a company that's allowed me to try these new different things. Yes. Oh, we're we're going to get into that because I'm very I'm very <laughs> fascinated to learn more from an organizational culture perspective. But want to to back into a few things. So you did mention your storied past in booze, burgers, condoms, detergent. Quite the journey. Can you tell us how you how that journey took you to Bacardi? Where did you start? Um. Yes. So. Yes, my journey to Bacardi. Um, so when I think, like, I've looked back at this and I look back and I um, have thought about, like, the two major themes, I think, that 
have been very prevalent throughout my career and specifically I think that landed me at Bacardi. And I always go back to Steve, you know, Steve Jobs, my my icon of marketing. Um, and he always used to say that you can't really connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. And now that I look back, I see that these two themes, the first one is um, my obsession and wanting to understand people. And the second one is my love of travel. Um, those are the things that have um, kind of driven me to end up at Bacardi. And this first one, like I said, I'm obsessed with people. I was born asking questions out of my mom's womb. I'm curious. Um, and it, it, it naturally led me to study um, in my undergraduate psychology. Um, and when I was studying psychology, um, people are going to nerd out when I hear this, but like when they hear this, but I fell in love with statistics and <laughs> that love for stats led me to my first job, which was in analytics and research. So that's kind of into research, but on the other side, the part of travel, um, that's my second biggest obsession. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was born in Venezuela and, and I was, you know, I grew up traveling. Uh, I can't remember, um, not being on an airplane and, and somehow by the time I was like 16, I convinced my parents to let me volunteer and spend my summers in Zimbabwe and Philippines and, you know, anywhere around the world that my parents would, or that my passport, not my parents would let me travel. So not just curious, but also persuasive as, as a young woman. <laughs> Um, that is a very kind way of saying it. I'll take it <laughs> persuasive. Um, yeah, so exactly. So these two themes, um, you know, it, travel and um, my my love to understand people landed me in burgers and condoms and like I said, detergents and, and lots of other different products, um, but always in insights and always in a global capacity. Okay. Wow. I love that. So then the obvious question is, what is your favorite drink with Bacardi? Ooh, that is, you know what? That is a hard question. <laughs> it is seriously like someone coming up to me and be like, uh, Gabby, which son is your favorite son? <laughs> <laughs> the alcohol are so, my children. Exactly. No, but it, but it is because it's like it's which one's behaving the best on that day, right? But no, I mean right now. So right now, which one is your favorite? Okay, so today, if I had to go, if tonight I had to go to a bar, I would probably go for a Bacardi Old Fashioned, Ocho Old Fashioned. Um, yes, people always associate an old fashioned kind of with whiskey. Yes, but um, have you guys have you tried it with a rum? Have you ever tried an old fashioned with rum? Oh, I have recently and it was amazing. Yeah, it kind of gives it this nice, uh, I don't know if this is what you experienced, but like a really nice, sweet, naturally sweet flavor. So yes, I, I love won't ask that you sweetness. which rum you tried, which rum did I don't know if I want to know which rum you tried, I but don't, of course it was. I don't know what it was, but I'll tell you Bacardi. <laughs> <laughs> Try it with an ocho, with a uh, Bacardi ocho. Really, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful rum. Yeah, that sounds great. For the, for the benefit of our listeners, I've traded a few emails with Gabby and also some other folks at Bacardi. And the one thing that I truly love is that you have uh, cocktail recipes in your email footer. I just thought that was a very <laughs> nice touch on brand. Our, our, so yeah, our, our out of you're talking about the out of home emails. Yes, our yeah. out of office emails. Or sorry, out of office emails. Yeah, we have fun with that because it's 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 um, you know, there's a drink for every occasion and every moment. And most recently, I did kind of 
put one uh, related to the um, to President's Day and, and citing uh, you know what what was Obama's favorite cocktail. So I got to put in a little job there, which was quite fun. Yes, I feel like that's a uh, that was pretty indicative in a very small way of the culture at Bacardi in, uh, <laughs> to have that that level of fun. Wait. But Obama loves to drink Grey Goose martinis. So what can I say? Yeah, it I mean, happened to be that's great. That's an endorsement. So, yeah. <laughs> um, as as someone who is, describes herself on LinkedIn as suffering from a serious case of wanderlust, and we've talked about travel, um, where are you headed next? Oh, so let me think about this. Um, wanderlust is another thing besides humans that keeps me up at night, and <laughs> and really, like literally, if I'm not if I'm not on the trip, I'm planning a trip. I don't know if you guys can relate to no, that. No, yeah, I get that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, planning the trip is almost half the fun. It's just the the, the build up. Yes, the planning, the fantasizing. Yeah. yeah. You. That's a good question. Is is it better to the planning or during the trip or even like the remembering of the trip? Ooh. Yeah. I mean, that's a very human question. I don't have an answer for that today, but. All of the above. How about <laughs> yeah. all of the above. I'm dreaming you know? back to some places right now, that's though. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so back to the question. So for me, I went a few years ago to Japan and I fell in love with it. Um, I think that the whole wandering through Tokyo and kind of letting my feet get lost and go wherever they wanted to and feeling the sense of like being transported back in time and spending time in ryokans, which are traditional um, places to stay in Japan. And then at the same time, the modernity of Tokyo, I think I found it was very fascinating to see the juxtaposition of both kind I of agree. how like the modern world. I think I think I read that somewhere that you spent time in, in, in Japan or used to live. Yes, there. I used to live in Japan. And it is, as you say, crazy in Tokyo that you can be standing next to a brand new glass skyscraper. And then at the corner of that city block is a 5000 year old Shinto shrine. That, exactly those are together or that you're walking in kyoto and this was a city built on a grid system that was a thousand years old when the declaration of independence was signed that's like the level oh, of history wow. is just sort of mad maddening but that's great Do, uh a question is oh and a, i'm sorry a, i have to say this though like we can't we can't talk about japan without talking about the sushi and the noodles i mean for sure like <laughs> How next could level. I not want to go back there? <laughs> the next level, exactly. I'll die happy eating them for the rest of my life. Do, are your us. are your two boys lucky enough to to get to go along with you? Yes, um, they are just starting on their journey of travel, um, but definitely I'll take them on adventure travel. Um, it, we've stayed in real working cowboy ranches, and you know, went hunting for rattlesnakes and uh, horseback riding all day. So they're definitely starting to have that little wanderlust um, bit inside them, growing and growing. Oh, that is a uh, that is a fortunate childhood. Good for you. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I wanted to turn back. I, I did promise this. I wanted to come back to this uh, idea of, of the fail fast culture, but I'm kind of a bigger question uh, behind that. So we met at CES at a brand innovators event, and I particularly loved something that you said on the panel that you were on about the wall of shame. Uh, I know that story, and I'm going to follow it up with something else. But for the benefit of our listeners, could you elaborate on that? And let me elaborate, or let me just uh, reemphasize, you said wall of shame, not walk of shame. Yes, I did say wall of shame. Yes, let's be yes, clear. Yes, wall of shame. Just be clear. 
So uh, I love this. Um, actually, Bacardi has um, three core pillars, which is family, treat each other like family, founder, have this entrepreneurial kind of mentality, and to be fearless. Um, and if there's any company that I've worked at that really fuels this fearless mentality, it's Bacardi. Um, and fearless, we talk about it a lot. Fearless means you also have to be open to failure. Um, and the cool thing that um, uh, this Epi, one of my coworkers, she actually um, thought of this idea. We have this room called the Think Tank, and they put up a huge giant section of a wall um, where people were encouraged to put like their biggest fearless failures. Um, and of course, because you know, I love to humanize things, I call it the wall of shame. But it's 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 awesome. It's amazing. People go up there. They put, you know, what was the project? What were the different things that happened that may have not, you know, that didn't lead to quite the success they thought? Um, but and what they could have done differently. And then other people can kind of comment and post it on there. And, and that's the point. It's like failure is not a negative thing. You know, failure is also uh, a chance for us to have opportunities to develop and to grow from. Yes, the obstacle is the way, as they say. I mean, how else would you learn? Otherwise, you could just keep doing the same thing year in, year out, and that'd be pretty boring. Um, <clears throat> so first note is a personal note, is that I came back from CES, and the first thing I did was I put up a wall of shame here. So yes. thank you for that. Can confirm. Wow. <laughs> um, Very cool. And then, but the second is this got me thinking, and I love that you, you touched on it a little bit here um, between family, founder, and fearless, but there's there that some, strikes me as something very unique about the culture at Bacardi because I think that um, again marketers are facing a lot of pressure for ROI and there's a lot of lip service to trying new things, um, but not a lot of appetite for failures. So. I guess uh, you've spoken about the Bacardi culture, but how do you manage this with your team? How do you encourage them to like, yes, you, you can go out on a limb or, but you know, here's how you justify it. And if it doesn't come back the way we planned, how do we like metabolize those learnings? Could you just talk about how at, at the culture of your team, how do you, how do you put this into, into play? Uh, sure, sure. So yeah, for sure. Bacardi is a company that fosters this culture of failing fast, you know, for the sake of being the best. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that you say like within the team, but it's very difficult to say within the team because the company as a whole operates um, in this, you know, with this idea of experimentation, um, everything, you know, all the time, they have these um, different competitions that that we do that really foster experimentation, and I'll, I'll talk about one of them. So we have this um, a, this group or this program at Bacardi called Next Gen, and it's all about fostering experimentation, um, living under that fearless and founders kind of mentality within our family. And what's really cool is that this is a competition that's across all 7,000 employees. Um, I don't know if people know that Bacardi is super global, 7,000 employees over 40 different um, countries. And basically they have this open, you know, um, competition that says, hey, whoever has the best idea, um, you know, write it down, put it down and we'll commercialize it. And so, 
um, what ends up happening is um, we rolled it out. This this year was the first year that they rolled it out and um, they picked a winner. And what was super, super interesting and, and great was that this year's winner was a team of five different people in all kinds of geographies and from all kinds of different functions from finance to e-commerce to business development. And they were all people that love innovation, right? Um, and it was fascinating because we're such a global company, yet we operate really small and fostering this, you know, just this one competition of having um, the opportunity to experiment. And if your idea gets chosen, then to commercialize an idea around the world is massive. If there's if there's any company that fo that fosters, you know, uh, experimentation and allows for failure, it's definitely Bacardi. Well, that's awesome. And also a good example of also not just innovation within a marketing team that you mentioned that there was finance too. And I think that's like the big challenge that we see talking with um, our uh, clients is that they often have these great ideas, but they kind of got to bust through a few walls to bring other departments along with them. Yeah, and it's fueled this um, sense of excitement. If you see the team, I wish you could see the team that won, the, the group of five, um, of just feeling like, you know, a lot of times, of course, finance is extremely critical to our company, but maybe they don't get to have as much, you know, uh, attention as some of the other big marketing campaigns that you mm -hmm. see. And this was such a great opportunity for them to be able to show, like, how savvy they are and and how great they are at innovation and how creative. Um, so it, it generated a lot of excitement and buzz within the company. And it's a really cool product. Stay tuned. It's coming. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. That's good to know. Um, so this strikes me as exemplary on the behalf of Bacardi, but here's a here's a hypothetical for you, not implying that you're going anywhere else. But if you were to try and replicate this like you go out and you're hired as cmo somewhere and you are tasked with you know driving change top down sort of thing what is the ad advice basically that you would give to other large corporations seeking to to embrace a culture of innovation or you know how do you kind of wear people down who are resistant to change or maybe i guess maybe the better term is bring them around so if if you were trying to export this this culture or recreate it somewhere else, how how would you start? Well, I mean, of course, I would be CEO of a global company, right? Since right, I love natural. to travel. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I think um, again, it goes to one of the things that Bacardi does very well is um, I would start really with a grassroots approach. Um, a lot of times I've worked a lot of global companies, and um, I think that Bacardi has gotten it right that it starts from grassroots and understanding like people locally and people what they want and what are the nuances um, within, you know, the different regions and then feeding that up um, and looking for um, commonalities across cultures and coming up with global strategies that way. Um, obviously, I think that the other thing that that does, if you start with this very grassroots approach is you get early buy-in to your ideas and into your different strategies because it's the people in the local markets that came up with these ideas. Like mm -hmm. by the time, by the time you come back to them, you're like, well, listen, if you don't want to execute this, you came up with this idea. So, you know, move on if not, right? right. <laughs> not really, but not, that's an exaggeration, but um, yeah, getting local buy-in, starting grassroots 
they know their culture the best and they know what um, people want the most. So yeah, I think that's a great approach. So when you think about starting with a local or, or regional ideas, how are there any issues that come up when you think about data privacy or security? Um, I mean, really getting back to this idea is that, you know, we are, Bacardi is the largest privately owned company in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, you know, we're huge, but um, we behave local and small. And each different market has its own compliance, its own regulatory, its own, right. you know, privacy and demands. And so what I can say is that that is also very grassroots. And that's also something that we absolutely adhere to all the local demands. That's um, great. And, uh, and, you know, from an insights perspective, I have to say that connecting with humans is at the core of everything we want to do, which also means like if we don't gain their trust um, and their privacy in every aspect, they're never going to want to love our brand. Indeed. Right. Trust is everything. Trust is everything. As some companies are learning the hard way. <laughs> yes. Glad we're not one of them. <laughs> um, okay. So in the in the final few minutes we have, I'm going to turn our attention to the squishy and overused but somewhat necessarily applicable term, digital transformation. So <clears throat> I'm curious to learn um, – about how this might be going on at Bacardi, because it strikes me that um, there's a traditional sales model element to Bacardi's business. But as you said, you're a global business. But ultimately, it's like the consumer may love Bacardi, but they must make the journey to the store. It's not sort of direct to consumer. I guess I'm asking more broadly, how are sort of digital transformation initiatives or efforts tackling what might be viewed as the world's oldest form of commerce? (laughs) Interesting. Um, I'll speak more to the human aspect of it. Um, One of the things that we're, I mean, digital is obviously a a massive e-commerce versus is, is a big platform and something that we're very much paying attention to and developing um, but what's most important for us in insights, at least from an insights perspective, is to understand people and understand their journey and understand how our brand cannot interfere. It's not about interfering with ads or interfering with like messages, but about enhancing the different moments, um, providing value when they're trying to connect digitally. How can we help them um, to have a better experience with our brand? Um, so from a human perspective from a people perspective it's really about understanding uh their journey um their path to purchase and um how we can enhance that experience um whether it's digital or whether it's you know something an experience or you know a sign that they see on the street or a tv commercial awesome well that uh i think that wraps it up for us um so thank you again for taking the time. It's been incredible. I, I hope our paths cross again soon. Um, so yeah, thanks again. I have to say though, cheers, salute. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I had a great time with you guys and uh, thanks again for the opportunity. Absolutely. 
And that does it for another episode of the Zero Hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. As always, we are grateful to Abby Bruce for sound design and production, Matthias Cefaletti for our theme music, and to our guests for lending their precious time and their expertise and insights. Um, I just want to say during this challenging time that we are grateful also to the first responders and the men and women in the hospitals on the front line. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong, y'all. We will return with another episode soon, but until then, this is the Zero Hour signing off. Mm -hmm.